Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. All right. Well, hey, you know, Christmas really is the most wonderful time of the year. And, uh, you know, we, we get so caught up in it. Don't we? We love Christmas, man. I, I do too. I, I know that all of us have, you know, deep sacred memories in our hearts about Christmas, right? You got the traditions that you do. You got the songs that you play. How many of y'all have a Christmas playlist on your phone that you've developed that you revisit every year, right? We've, we've all got, you know, a lot of things going up. Some of you have had your trees up since July. You know, it's, it's a sacred time. It's filled with meaningful memories, traditions. And wonders. And, you know, one of the things about Christmas that we don't think about a lot of times is Christmas is actually an industry. Right? You know, if there's something that you can buy, that you can purchase, there is a Christmas version. We have Christmas music. Come on, we have Christmas songs. You know, we have Christmas movies. We have Christmas clothes. We have Christmas food, right? We have Christmas coffee. I mean, y'all are grateful that there's, you know, you go to the, you you have a a featured coffee for just the Christmas time. Some of us wait all year. I know for me, some of my favorite coffees come out around Christmas. And in fact, Christmas is such an industry that, that on average, Seven to eight hundred dollars per person in America is spent on Christmas. For each person, about seven to eight hundred dollars. That's four hundred and sixty-five billion dollars a year spent on Christmas. And uh, man, I don't know. I, I don't spend. Um, you know, we don't spend that per person in our house, but but we do spend a lot of money every Christmas. In fact, so much money spent on Christmas. But even wrapping paper, two point six billion dollars per year just on wrapping paper, not even for the gifts. To to wrap the gifts is spent on wrapping paper. And why? Because it's the most wonderful time of the year. But beloved, I want to encourage you, don't get caught up in the wonder and swallowed up in the wrong wonder, right? There is a greater wonder that is far superior than this industrialized, this commercialized Christmas. Love all that. Not knocking all of that. But don't get so swallowed up in that that you forget the greater wonder. Come on, that there is a greater wonder to get lost in. And uh, we need to be less obsessed with the nostalgia of Christmas and more obsessed with the reason for Christmas. We have a sign that we put out, and I'm not saying that you need to go buy one of these, but we have a sign that we put out whenever we put out our Christmas decorations. Someone gave it to us years ago. It says, Jesus is the reason for the season. And we put that outside, not to remind ourselves, because we're pretty good about remembering, but to remind the world that the reason why we celebrate Christmas is because it's Christ's mass. And we get together, we gather around Jesus. You don't have Christmas without Christ. You know, it's like, most of the word is Christ, Christ's mass. And that's, that's the reason why we celebrate Christmas. So really, in order to understand Christmas, we need to understand Christ. And a lot of people don't understand Christ. They celebrate, do you have to be a Christian to celebrate Christmas? No, not really. But to understand Christmas in its entirety, you have to understand Christ. Because what makes Christmas significant is Christ. What makes Christmas significant is who he is. Right? And in order to understand why he came, which is what this series is about, why did Jesus come? The reason I understand why he came, we got to understand who he is. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, who is he? Who is he? Come on, like you're preaching, who is he? Who is he? 
Who is he? And what we call that, the study of Jesus, the study of nature. I'm going to give you guys some, some theological terms today. You okay? We love experience. We love that. But you need some theology. Come on. You need, some, you need, you need to put some meat on your bones. Or you need, to have, you need to have some bones to put your meat on because we love the experience. But some of you don't have any backbone. Some of you need some structure. So I'm going to teach you some things today. You all okay for a little bit of theology? And what we call the, the studying the person and the nature of Christ, the role of Christ, we call that Christology. Everybody say Christology. Now I'm going to give you some words. You're going to take these words, write them down, or you know, screenshot your app, and pull these out over this Christmas season because it's a great opportunity. Listen, out of all the 12 months that we have, this month is the greatest opportunity for you to talk about Jesus. Because everybody's already saying Christ, right? They're already saying Christmas. So Plug the Lord in. Come on, plug him in. And we talk about Christology. We're not talking about a B issue. The nature of Jesus isn't like, well, you know, whatever you think about Jesus, no big deal. No, no, no. It is a big deal. In fact, I would say this. What you believe about Jesus is the biggest deal. And not just at Christmas time, but for your whole life. It's all about who he is. It's a critical issue. In fact, I will say this, that you can't be a true Christian without the true Christ. You can't be a true Christian without the true Christ. Jesus talked a lot about false Christ, right? There were people that came before Jesus that were claiming to be Messiah. There's been people that came after Jesus that said they were Messiah. And Jesus warned us, he, he warned us that there were many people that came along before him that were thieves and liars. And they came along saying, claiming they were Christ. And he said, more will come. More people will come. There's people on the earth today claiming to be Christ. And uh, let me also say this, that in our culture, people are portraying a Christ that is not the true Christ. This, you know, humble Jesus, which we we love, we love it that Jesus is humble, but, but what we do is we created a Jesus that's comfortable to put on a postcard. Come on. Or we've created a Jesus that's comfortable to put in a blog post or that'll fit our agenda. Beloved, he didn't come for a man's agenda. He came for his agenda. He is Christ. Come on. And, and you can be sincere in, in what you understand about Jesus and be sincerely Wrong. So it's inc- incredibly important. I cannot, I cannot over, over, uh, emphasize the value of you understand how inc- critically important it is to know who Jesus is, the true Christ. Not what our culture says about Christ, what Jesus says about himself, what the word of God teaches us about Jesus. You'll okay. So I want to give you some, some terms today. Christology is one of them. Some other terms about, that'll help you sound a lot smarter than you really are. Okay, you okay? So when you talk to your when you talk to your family, when you talk to your neighbors about religion, about Jesus, because you need to do that. Another, we're not supposed to do that. Well, you 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 are because you represent him. And so you're, when you talk about Jesus, these are some terms that you can use, and people go, "Wow, he's really done his homework." And really, all you did is screenshot of the app or took good notes. John chapter 1. Now, we're going to be digging into John chapter 1 a lot during this series. This series is going to be a little bit more to, you know, to work your mind. Come on, to love God. How many of you know you're called to love God with all your mind? And you're going to have the mind of Christ, renewal of your mind. So your mind is important. It doesn't take a back seat to your emotions. Come on, some of you have, have, have done that. You've thrown your mind in the back and let your emotions drive your life. And that's why you've lived a mess. Some of you need to think a little better. Let me help you with that. John chapter 1. I'm going to preach all day. All right. John chapter 1, we'll get there. In the beginning, everybody say in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
through him, all things were made. Now, this is talking about Jesus. Through him, Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In other words, Jesus isn't just a man that showed up on the scene 2,000 years ago. He was way back in creation. All things are created through him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Now, what this is speaking of, it's speaking of the pre-existence of Jesus. Everybody say pre-existence. The pre-existence of Jesus means that Jesus has always existed. See, some people think that Jesus showed up on the scene 2,000 years ago. He did in flesh, but before that, Jesus was always the Word. He was the Word in the beginning. He was in on creation. He always is. He always was and he always will be. Now, there's, there's two things that, I'll, that I'll, I'm going to want to use from your geometry class that you took. Not geology class, but geometry class. You guys recognize these symbols? So over here on the right, you have what is called a, who knows what that's called? It's called a ray, right? You remember that? So you're like, oh, yeah. So what a ray is, is a ray is, is like a line that has a beginning that has no end. Okay? People are like that. We have a beginning. We don't really have an end until we die without God, and then we have an end. Come on. If you die with God, you never have an end. Woo! If you die without Jesus, you have an end, right? If you die with Jesus, your life never ends. Life more abundantly. It goes on and on and on. However, Jesus isn't like us. So what most people do is they categorize Jesus in this. In fact, I would say this, that most people don't even think about Jesus in the eternal perspective. They make him a line segment, which is another dot right there, and say, Jesus just lived this period of time. No, no, no. He's still alive. So when we talk about the preexistence of Christ, is we're saying that he was all the way down there and all the way over there. He is eternal. He is the beginning, and he is the end. Right? He, he doesn't necessarily have a beginning and have an end. He is the beginning and he is the end. He is the Alpha and Omega. And so he's always been here. And so when we talk about Jesus, many times people say, well, when, when you will make a statement like, well, Jesus is God, people are like, they, they kind of, whoa, 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 not really sure about that. Listen, this is critical, beloved. Jesus claimed, Jesus showed, revealed himself as God. The scriptures right here speak of Jesus as God. Now, Jesus is not the Father. Right? That's a false doctrine to say Jesus is the Father. Jesus is the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That is the Trinity. Some people say we have three gods. No, no, no. One God, one what, three who's. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. One what, what is the what, God, three who's. Without the three who's, you don't get the what. Are you tracking with me? So Jesus is not the Father. So when we pray to Jesus, we don't go, Father Jesus. No, no, no. Jesus is not the Father. Jesus is with the Father, and with the Father, he is God. You take one element out, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, you don't have God. You're tracking with me? So one what, three who's? Three persons in the Trinity. So Jesus has always been there. The Holy Spirit, even before Acts 2, the Holy Spirit was there. Holy Spirit's been there since creation. Hovering the Spirit of the waters, Jesus was there on creation. So Jesus has always existed. He is God. He is not the Father, but he is God. Are y'all tracking? Now, most of the ancients, when they read the scriptures, whenever they wrote the scriptures, a lot of times they would use the word God, meaning the Father. Just like we do most of the time. Oftentimes, when we use the word God, we're thinking of the Father. When we think about Jesus, we're thinking God the Son, right? 
So understand that, that language. Now, it says verse 9. You all okay? I know, I know we're taking you to school today. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone, every man, was coming into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world, and, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. In other words, Jesus created the whole thing. He shows up in flesh, and everybody's like, who is that? He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Verse 12, yet all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, how many know that you weren't born a child of God? Because our culture will say, even, even well-meaning culture will say, well, we're all God's children. We ain't all God's children. It says it right here in the Bible. Where do you get your theology from? From the Bible? All right, here it is. Yet all who receive him and believe in him, he gives them the right. That word in the Greek is the word exousia, which is governmental authority to become children of God. So when you believe Jesus, when you receive Jesus, you at that moment, that's when you become a child of God. By authority, by God's authority, he says, this is my son. This is my daughter because they received Jesus. They received the man Jesus. You tracking? Okay. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human or a husband's will, but born of God or born of spirit. So in order to become a child of God, you don't just be born. You got to have a second birth. We call that being born again, right? John chapter 3. Born again. So in order to be a child of God, you got to be born a second time. How does that happen? By believing and receiving the true Jesus. I'm preaching harder than you're amening. Verse 14. The word, here we go. This is what Christmas is all about right here. Verse 14. The word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So Jesus didn't change. He just took on flesh. He fleshed out. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is full of grace, like we like to talk about. He's also full of truth. The true Jesus. So significant, the significance of Christmas is wrapped up in this. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Because of this event where God... The son, Jesus, took on flesh. He was always the son, but finally he showed up, and he was born in a manger. And he took on flesh. God became a human. We call this the incarnation. Everybody say incarnation. Not incarnation. No, not that one. Incarnation. Incarnation means the act of being made flesh. It's basically just a complicated way of saying Jesus became a man. And when Jesus became a man, he didn't lay down his God side. Are you with me? He remained God and he became man. We call this the hypostatic union. Here's a good one for you. Come on, the hypostatic union. So, so you, can, you don't want to have a deep conversation. Have you heard of the hypostatic union? The hypostatic union states that this, that Jesus is fully human and fully divine or God, that there is no mixture or dilution of either nature forever. Now, it's forever. This is what's cool about Jesus. Jesus, born in a manger, born to become a human, lived his life, died, all the great stuff that we talk about. He dies, 
rises again, right? Takes on a, what we call a resurrected body. And Jesus in that body is forever in that body. So right now in heaven, there is a man, a physical, tangible man. He has elbows. He has earlobes. He's a man in heaven. And he is before God the Father. Hebrews tells us this, that he is before God the Father representing mankind, making intercession for us. There's a man. When we go to heaven, there will be a physical God-man there. A physical man that we will look at that will have a beard and earlobes and elbows. And we will be able to touch his skin and look at his physical eyes. This all happened because of this moment in the manger. God took on flesh. The hypostatic union. He never stopped being God. He just took on flesh. And you say, well, I thought Jesus was just God. No, no, no. Some people think Jesus was just a man. Some people think he was just God. No. Do you remember? Jesus got hungry. Jesus got tired. He had the limitations of the flesh. So important for that to happen is the event that we talk about, and one of the centerpieces of our Christmas story is the Virgin Mary. And we have the virgin birth story. Why is it so critical about the, because some people are like, oh, the virgin birth, it's not a big deal if you don't believe in the virgin birth. If you don't have the virgin birth, first of all, you don't have a miraculous birth. Second of all, you don't have God putting the seed in. And we talk about Mary a lot. You know, in Protestant circles, we don't talk about Mary enough, probably. The most significant ministry in human history, besides Jesus himself, is the ministry of Mary. Because Mary carried the hope of the world inside of her. For nine months, she had the hope inside of her. She carried that hope. She remained pure. Come on. Scripture says that she had the favor of God on her life. She had the favor of God on her life because she had the favor of God in her life. Come on. Are you with me? And she maintained that. And so the virgin birth is central and critical to the Christmas story. Not just the Christmas story, but the Christian story. Because... What, what happens is Jesus was born with human nature, but get this, Jesus was not born with a sinful nature. Now, some of you are like, whoa, hold up. Jesus didn't have a sinful nature. Jesus did not have a sinful nature. You say, but Jesus was tempted. So was Adam. Did you know that Adam was not born with a sinful nature? A sinful nature happens when you commit sin. That's when the sinful nature comes in. When you've been born again, I believe this, we crucified When you came to Jesus, you put away your sinful nature. That's why we get baptized. We go under the water and we say, that's why it's important for those of you that are walking with Jesus, that you get baptized because that you're prophetically saying that I died, that I put to death my sinful nature and I'm resurrected into spiritual nature. Now I'm a superior spiritual nature that sometimes screws up. Just like Adam didn't have a sinful nature until he sinned. Jesus was tempted also. He didn't have a sinful nature, yet he was still tempted. Let me say this. You are not defined, destroyed, or distanced by your temptations. Your temptations don't define you. Your temptations don't destroy you. But you will be tempted. And oftentimes what we do is we say, I'm being tempted, I'm wrong. Listen, break that shame off your life. Even Jesus himself was tempted, and he didn't have a sinful nature. Adam. Didn't have a sinful nature, but it was still tempted and eventually gave in to that temptation. Jesus did not. So, 
part of the reason why the virgin birth was important is because we needed to have, we needed the circumvention of the sin nature that it would allow God to become the perfect man. In order to be the perfect man, he has to have the perfect father. Woo! Matthew 1. Let's, let's get a little bit more uh, sentimental. <laughs> this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with a child through the Holy Spirit. <laughs> hey, uh, babe, I got something to tell you. I know, like, we're engaged and stuff, but I'm pregnant. And he's like, well, how did that happen? Because we weren't like, you know. We weren't doing that married thing, person thing yet, because we're living holy, and we're preserving ourselves, come on, doing it God's way, so we're not doing things that, that are reserved for married people, come on. I mean, you know, sex is reserved for marriage between a husband and a wife, that's what the scripture teaches us, and so these were holy Jews, tr- striving for holiness, they weren't perfect, but they were pure. And he, she comes to Joseph, and she says, I'm pregnant. Now, you, like me, would be like, what? I thought we were going to get married. What are you doing sleeping around? And then she says, well, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> well, God got me pregnant. Bye. <laughs> right? That's what Joseph's plan was. He was going to cut out. So Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. He was going to be a nice guy about it. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because, and here's the why. Because he will save his people from their sins. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to save us from our sins. He could have done no good thing to a poor person. He could have been almost irritated by children. Jesus could have said no to many miracles and still fulfilled his purpose. His primary purpose was right here, to save his people from their sins. Jesus came on a rescue mission. That's what he came for. The name Jesus means Savior, Deliverer. That name Christ is not his last name. It wasn't Joseph and Mary Christ. That name Christ means the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Chosen One. Jesus had a specific purpose. And listen, that purpose is not to be diluted with making him a social or political figure. Don't get it wrong to fit Jesus into your little blog, to fit Jesus into your little mindset or lifestyle. He is the real Jesus that came to rescue you from your sins. That's why he came. He didn't come to fit your agenda. He came to bring heaven's agenda. That's what he came for. He came to save us from our sins, your sins, my sins, the sins of humanity. That's why he came. Don't mess this up. 
Don't dilute his purpose. His purpose is clear. His purpose is clear to save us, the Savior, from our what? From our sin. That word is harmatia. Everybody say harmatia. That one might be a little harder in your list of words you're going to lose or use. But it says in Romans chapter, or lose, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. That word is an archery term. An archery term. I think, I think we got something here to play. An archery term. We got that little video, that clip. An archery term. And harmatia means this. It means that you draw back and you shoot really good, but you miss the target. And we say, oh, they did pretty good. They still miss the target. The word sin means, means to miss the mark. See, the mark isn't the circle. Can you leave that rolling? The mark isn't the circle or even the circle inside the circle. If you look really close, you'll see that the mark is this little crosshair is right in the middle. It's real hard to see. Listen, the mark is specific. The mark is tight. The mark is this, to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. And we all attempt at it. And we all, we all attempt at it. But I don't know about you, but I can't say that I love God 100% with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm better than I was last week. But every day, just like you, I miss the mark. I sin. I blow it. You say, well, I didn't do anything bad. Did you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? I did that. Did you love your neighbor as yourself? Oh. Most of the time, we look at the second one and say, well, I did love my neighbor as myself. But did you love God? with all of your heart, with all, with absolute moral perfection. To miss the mark, listen, to miss to, the mark is a very precise bullseye. When we talk about goodness, we're not talking about human goodness. Are you with me? We're talking about moral perfection. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is his goodness. His glory is his goodness. His glory is his moral perfection. So the standard is God's moral perfection. Are you as perfect as God? No. You missed the mark. You've fallen short of the glory, of his goodness. It's bad news. Because it says in Isaiah that our sins have separated us from God. If we don't hit the mark, we fall short. We're unfit. We can't go before God. We're separated because of our failure to miss or to hit the mark. We miss it. I miss it. You miss it. However, Jesus was a perfect shot. Jesus hit the mark. Check it out. Romans chapter 3, verse 22, from where that scripture comes from. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, the one who hit the mark, the only one that did. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. For everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard, yet God with undeserved kindness. Not because of your goodness, because of his. With God with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. We are righteous. Not that we will be righteous, but that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. 
He said, you know what? You should be punished for your sin. Instead, I will be. So I'll become a man, and I'll take it on. I'll become vulnerable unto death. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God by hitting the mark. No, no, no. When they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Because you have sinned, you are lost. You are lost. There's a story in Luke chapter 19 about a guy named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector, a little short tax collector. You know, he's that guy on all the movies. Because tax collectors, you know, they're like the short, like Italian guy, you know, that just wants to sit around and eat pasta that's really wicked. That's what a tax collector was. They were, they were criminals. They were crooks. They were taking people's money. And here's Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus had a little bit of wonder about him. He is kind of, a, kind of an upbeat guy, it appears from the story. And so what happens is he hears that Jesus is in town. He's like, man, I know that everybody. Now, you got to understand something. As being a tax collector, Zacchaeus was born a Jew. Zacchaeus is a Jewish name. He was a Jew. However, when you become a tax collector, you go work for Rome. And so if you're working for Rome, you're, they're enemies of the Jews. In fact, part of the reason why they missed Jesus because they thought that Jesus was going to come and destroy Rome. Instead, he came and rescued Rome. Oh, and so they said, they said uh, you know, if you go over to the Roman side and you start collecting taxes, you're a sinner. Jesus spent a lot of time with tax collectors. Remember Levi? And so Jesus had all these tax collectors that he spent his time with, these sinners. They were considered sinners and lost sheep of Israel because they were in Israeli, and now they switched over, and they were serving the Roman government. They were crooked. So here's this little guy. Hey! I hear Jesus in town. So he runs to the crowd. Jesus is in the crowd. Zacchaeus runs to the crowd, and he can't see over the crowd because he's, he's vertically challenged. So he, just, he knows where Jesus is going. So he runs, runs up the road, and he climbs up into this tree. It's called Sycamore Tree. And he climbs up in that tree, and he starts looking, and he's watching Jesus teach. And he's sitting up in that tree. He's like, I can see now. And he sees Jesus, and Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus, and he sees him, and he says, Zacchaeus! Now, Zacchaeus didn't tell him his name. But when Jesus, see, everybody else is calling Zacchaeus a sinner. But when Jesus said Zacchaeus, he is prophetically speaking because the name Zacchaeus actually means pure. So everybody else is saying Zacchaeus is a sinner. Jesus looks up and says, hey, there's purity for you. Do you want it? Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come over to you. He invites himself over for dinner. Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house and eat today. You know, all those things that you bought with that money you stole from people. So he invites him down, and when he comes down from that tree, to greet Jesus, all the people start telling him, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, Jesus is with Zacchaeus. Jesus is a sinner also. Look at him associate with those sinners. And this is what Jesus says right here in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek the lost sheep, the sinner, and to save that which was lost. See, Jesus came seeking. To seek means to seek after that which one desires. He said, well, Jesus doesn't have to seek for anything because he knows everything. You know what? I knew Leslie Brown as a woman. Her name wasn't Leslie Brown. Her name was Leslie Murray. And so I was like, man, Leslie, I know Leslie, but I desire her. So I started seeking her. Are you with me? I started seeking to win her heart. How many know that Jesus went on a, on, a, on a journey? He went on a voyage. He left the 99. He left the comforts of heaven. He left 
that and became, Scripture says, a little lower than the angels. That doesn't mean that he wasn't as, wasn't as awesome as the angels. It just meant that he took on humanity, that Jesus came down, that he went on this pursuit. He went on this seeking voyage to find humanity, to go for their heart. See, religion, listen, religion seeks God. But our story, listen, our story, Jesus is the one who did the seeking. Jesus is the one who did the finding. So we say, oh, I'm seeking God. You're only seeking God because he found you. See, because in the kingdom, we don't seek to find God. We seek him because God found us. So now, so now, so we say, oh, they're a seeker. They're a seeker. No, no, no. Scripture says no one seeks after God. No one seeks after God. Yet God comes and he seeks after me. He's looking for me. And then when he finds me, he goes, come on, seek me. Now you can come in. Now you can search my heart. Now can you can know who I am. But he didn't just come to seek. He came to save the lost. See, this is the reality about Jesus. He's the only one that could. He's the only one that could seek and save the lost because he was the only one that could be the sinless sacrifice. He's the only one that's ever done it. He's the only one that ever hit the mark. Of 300 prophecies, Jesus fulfilled every single one. There were people that tried to fulfill them. Jesus didn't have to try. He just did it. Jesus fulfilled every prophecy, every prophecy about him. Did you know that, uh, that all those 300 prophecies, in order for you to fulfill those 300 prophecies, the chances are one and the 157th power. That means one with 157 zeros after it. The chances of Jesus fulfilling all the prophecies are one and 157 something millions, whatever that is. Jesus is the only one that could. It tells us in Hebrews that day and day after day after day that the priests would go into the temple. Yet it says this about Jesus, that Jesus came and provided one sacrifice. Day after day they provided sacrifices is that Jesus came. Jesus was the final sacrifice. Jesus was the permanent solution for our sins. You don't have to go to a priest anymore. You just come to Jesus. He's the permanent solution for your sin. He's the only one that could because he's the only one that was perfect. And listen, he is the only one that would. I'm not just trying to be like Dr. Seuss this morning, but he's the only one that could, and he's the only one that would. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, you see it just the right time. It was just the right time when everything was just fit the right time. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though a good, good man, somebody might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us. It wasn't human love. It was, it was the only kind of love that, that would it's the only kind of love that goes on and on and on. It's the only kind of love that, it's, that you could never exaggerate. It's, it's the only love that's conditional. It's the only love that would do that. The love of a human would never die for their enemies. The love of a good man would never die for those that are opposed, those that have mistreated. Only the unconditional Pure, unbreakable, unbendable, pursuing love of God. Only the absolute love of God would do that. He's the only one that would. Only a love this big would pursue us. 
who were enemies of God. He's the only one that would. And listen, he's the only one that did. Some people would say, well, there are many ways to God. Really? Who provided the way? There are many ways. Who else provided the way? There's a lot of religions that teach that you got to provide the way. Good luck with that. And that's exactly what you'll need. You'll need luck. And luck ain't real. He's the only one that died. For if, Romans 5, 17, for if by the trespasses of one man, death reigned through that one man. Speaking of Adam, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? See, there's only one way. Jesus didn't say, I'm a way. I'm an option. He didn't say, I'm a truth. I'm a life. No, no, no. He said, I'm the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the way to the Father. Listen, it's not because God is mean-spirited that Jesus is the only way. It's just that Jesus is the only one who did it. Jesus is the only one that died for you. Jesus is the only one that God became flesh took on human weakness and died and crucified. He's the only one that paid for your sins. Nobody else could, nobody else would, and nobody else did, but Jesus did. Jesus is the one. Jesus did it for us. Listen, if there are many ways to God, then Jesus died in vain. And Jesus is not a good moral teacher because if that's all he was, he was a miserable, evil man to say the things that he said. But, beloved, he is not. He is the way. And let me say this today, that he is not a savior in the list of saviors. Beloved, he's not my personal savior. He is the savior. And because he is the savior, he can save me. And because he's the savior, he can save you. Because he's the savior... He can save your neighbor. He can save the in-law that you don't get along with. He can save your lost brother or sister. He can save your child that's ran away from God. He can save you. He can save President Obama. He can save President Trump. He can save anybody because he is who? The Savior. He provided the way for all. And there is no other way Jesus provided the way. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. One more verse. We're going to go home. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life As a ransom for many. That word ransom is the word that we use to buy someone out of slavery. Paul says it this way. He said, those that sin are slaves to sin. Have you ever been enslaved to sin? Boy, I have. Jesus came to purchase your freedom.
He came to set you free. He came to rescue you. It's a rescue mission. So he came. Listen, he didn't come just so we could have a pretty little postcard. He came to set us free. Have you been set free? Have you been set free? I'm not talking about you trying harder than you were last week. Have you been set free? Come on, I'm not talking about you just a little bit better than you were a year ago. No, no, no. I'm saying have you been set free? Have you been set free to whenever you, when you obey Jesus, you do it with joy. Have you been set free? Have you been found, beloved? Have you been found by God? Has he struck your heart in such a way that you said, I will not resist you like we sung earlier? Are you seeking now? Are you seeking now that you found or have you grown content in this wonderful, glorious grace?